Hello and welcome to the Digital Digests, your weekly data centers and telecoms news roundup podcast published every Friday, brought to you by Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Editor-in-Chief, John Max Lima, and I'm jo- joining me this week is our Editor-at-Large, Alan Burkett-Gray, Deputy Editor, Melanie Mingus, and Senior Reporters, Abigail Opia and Natalie Bannerman. In these almost COVID-19-free episodes, we are going to be talking about Microsoft's latest $1 billion digital investment in Europe, the merger that could reorganize the chessboard of UK telecommunications, high-level moves on the boards of big players, and we will also discuss the result season so far. First up, Microsoft. This week, we witnessed probably the first multi-billion dollar investment announcement by one of the big cloud players since the beginning of the pandemic. Microsoft has unveiled plans to invest nothing less than $1 billion to accelerate innovation and digital transformation in the Polish Digital Valley. Abigail, you got this story. What can you tell us? What has Microsoft done in Poland? Yeah, so like you said, Microsoft has revealed a $1 billion investment plan for the acceleration of innovation and digital transformation in Poland. And the company has decided to sign um, a strategic agreement with cloud providers Chimura Cheora, and they decided that they were going to team up and just change the landscape and the ecosystem of Poland. Um, the plan builds on Microsoft's nearly 30-year track record of working with Polish organizations and businesses of all sizes. It was estimated that the investment will provide support for a continued success and the country's developers' talent pool and will create learning opportunities for around 150,000 employees, partners and students. And the Prime Minister had said himself that he's deeply, um, he deeply believes that Microsoft's investment in Poland will be important for enterprises, public institutions and the education system whilst they implement a new work standard. So to me, I just feel like this news itself developing is quite interesting because it just sounds like there's going to be a complete shift in Poland. But what do you guys think? Um, I, th- I think it's a really interesting shift because Poland has been growing its digital, um, let's call it, let's call it digital economy. Um, over the last few years, um, we've seen a few data center operators moving into Krakow and also Warsaw, but mainly Krakow. Um, Aruba SPA, for example, in Italy is one of the, the examples. Um, actually, the main one of the main guys on the boards is from Poland, so he's really driving the business in Central Central Europe, um, and Krakow is their base. So I think Poland, it's probably going to be a powerhouse um, in terms of digital services in the next, I mean, probably decade because it would take time to do the whole transformation. But it'll be interesting to see how it sort of serves the region, even across all the way up to the Baltics. Um, with Lithuania, Estonia, and Latvia. I agree. Okay, thank you, Abigail. Um, we certainly missed those sort of levels of capital expenditure um, from these big guys. And interestingly, Microsoft has not been alone this week. Uh, it seems like the market is getting back on the investment train from M&A to new funding rounds. But let's break this down a little bit more. And then, Natalie, you covered one of the largest deals in the making in the telecom space um, around the world right now. Um, Liberty Global and Telefonica are to merge Virgin Media and Auto in a 42 billion pound deal. Um, this this is quite huge, and this will definitely transform the market in the UK. What have you got for us? Well, certainly a, a bit of a two-parter on that side because I, I broke the story when it was in in discussions, but um, um, I believe Melanie actually covered uh, the actual uh, merger being announced today. But uh, just to give an overview, yes, uh, Telefonica and Liberty Global um, are merging their respective UK companies, which is Virgin Media and O2. Uh, I believe it's going to be a 50-50 venture. 
um, with um, Telefonica to receive uh, 5.5 billion in cash to help it reduce its debt and Liberty Global to take uh, a 1.5 billion in cash after splitting out uh, Virgin Media's Irish business. Um, so it's it, it certainly is a, a, a very big and, and, and long-awaited deal from, from what I understand. We did actually speak to Paolo Pescatore, uh, who is a telecoms analyst for PP4 in, um, PP Foresight. Um, he was saying that because a lot of the industry is saying that they they believe that this new entity could create um, a credible rival to the uh, to BT in the operator space and to Sky in the pay TV space. But interestingly, he was saying that he's not entirely sure that this new entity will be able to compete with BT and Sky, um, namely due to the obstacles that need to be resolved first, which includes the valuation of both companies and the existing MVNO agreements, um, which includes Virgin Media with Vodafone and O2 with Sky. Um, so it, it's an interesting one um, for sure. Um, I think it will be interesting to see how it unfolds and um, additionally how the regulators get involved down the line um, at present. Um, no real details in terms of, you know, regulatory approval has been given just yet. So we're still very much at the, the very beginning of this process. But um, they do believe that the deal uh, will create uh, £700 million worth of synergies. So certainly something uh, we should be keeping a close eye on. And we certainly will. Is there some sort of uh, time frame, some sort of schedule on when we can expect further development? Um, I haven't actually seen anything on my side. I don't know if you've picked up anything, uh, Melanie. I think right now they just announced that the deal's going ahead and how much it would be for, but I didn't come across anything that term, um, detailed when it would close. Uh, I think they're being quite uh, quite uh, restrictive in terms of what they're announcing and what they aren't. So I, I feel like it'll probably be in another few weeks we'll get a bit more of a, a clearer picture. Is oddly leaving Virgin Media in the Irish Republic a sort of orphan, isn't it? Because that's a really big cable operation. Uh, and of course, O2 pulled out of the Irish Republic about three or four years ago when they sold their business to uh, three. And so O2 doesn't exist in Ireland anymore. But Virgin, I wonder if Virgin Media is subscale in Ireland and whether they'll be Liberty Global will be looking for another purchaser. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point, actually. I um, wasn't actually thinking about the Irish operations. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to see what they do there as well. Very good point. Mm. It's definitely going to change the monopoly around this area of the world. Um, and then actually, Melanie, um, I know you covered the, the Telefonica story as well, but moving on to another story that you covered last week and this week. Um, we spoke last, uh, last week about India's Vodafone idea receiving a $200 million lifeline package. Uh, and then this week we have seen more cash moving around the Indian market. So it seems to be a very hot market at the moment. This time we are talking about geo platforms, which got nearly $750 million in investment. That is correct. Yeah. Um, so this development is um, is not unusual, um, but it also kind of is in a way, especially for India. Um, now, obviously, India is a huge market. Um, you know, we a lot of the um, a lot of the operators are still working on 3G and 4G, um, and there's you know underrealized value in e-commerce um, and things like that, especially around the wider digital economy. Um, now, what we've seen with this um, new deal with Geo Platforms is that last week it secured its second investor in a fortnight, um, which now takes its total external investor holdings to 11.14 percent. And now this is a big shift for a company that's been privately owned for so long. Um, so, like the Facebook cash the week before that. 
This investment also comes from the US, um, this time from Silver Lake, and they are paying $746.8 million um, for the 1.5 stake in Geo Platforms. Um, now, the official line from Geo Platforms is that it's looking to support the growth of India's digital economy with the generation of new employment and business opportunities. Um, it already launched WhatsApp ordering services for GeoMart following the Facebook deal last month, um, and there have been several pledges um, from the chairman to further focus on um, small merchants, micro businesses, and farmers. And the idea there is to enable them to do more business through more mobile and other forms of connectivity. But remember, this is a company that's still looking to reduce its net debt to zero by March 2021, which is less than a year away. Um, so we can't underestimate how useful these funds are going to be as it continues to work on that strategy. Now, if we take a close <coughs> look at itself, its previous investments have included Airbnb, Alibaba, um, Alphabet, Verily and Waymo units and Dell Technologies, um, as well as Twitter. Um, it has approximately 40 billion in combined assets under management um, and two CEOs who have both been with the company for 21 years. Now, they have really strong financial backgrounds, but also tech experience. Um, now, the interesting thing, the point that I'm trying to make here um, is that this stake isn't just a huge investment in terms of Silver Lake's portfolio. It's part of Silver Lake that's investing in Geo. Now there are two parts of the company. Um, Silver Lake Partners focuses on technology investing, while Silver Lake Alpine is all about structured equity and debt investing. Now Geo hasn't actually highlighted which division of Silver Lake this money is coming from. All it said was that its gains in broadband connectivity, smart devices, cloud and edge computing have all benefited from such investments. Um, but it's something to keep an eye on because, you know, as you say, in India is an interesting market, but it's not without its challenges. Um, debt restructuring, obviously, the government issues, so on and so forth are only part of that. Um, but either way, Egan Durban, one of the CEOs of Silver Lake, was full of praise for Geo when the deal was announced, and he said it was one of the world's most remarkable companies which i thought was absolutely lovely it sounds to me like he wants to give them a 12 point punctuation um <laughs> but uh it is interesting that you pick up um it's the american investment is picking up in india um because i mean a lot of the investment has come from other parts of asians including singapore mainly um and then a part of europe as well and then of course a little bit from america but with everything that's going on in china china versus the us or us versus china more likely um it is interesting to see this increase in American investment in India and how this kind of span out. And I'm sure even though India comes with its challenges, um, their Prime Minister Modi will be, he will be on the ball with all this and sort out um, things in a way that foreign investments can flow into the country more naturally and quicker as well, probably. Alan, what do you think? Because you've been covering this market and especially Geo as well for a long time. Yeah, I remember interviewing the first CEO of Geo years ago, and the whole idea was to start from scratch almost without any baggage of old technology. And they've just built a 4G network. I mean, a lot of people in India are still working on 2G and 3G. Uh, but Geo built a 4G network from, from the start. And actually, the... Uh, the, the, the idea is being replicated in Japan now with another company that's taken a lot of people from Geo and are building a, I guess it will be a 5G network this time, but Geo, you know, huge economies uh, and also they came into the market with zero, zero rates. They charge people nothing whatsoever and that's just completely devastated the Indian market. So many Indian carriers have merged. They used to have about 9, 10, 11 across the country and now they're down to three. And uh, Vodafone Idea is in a very difficult state. Um, 
Barty Airtel is more healthy, but Geo is basically been is the giant killer. It's been going through the market and uh, just picking up, just succeeding uh, by coming in with a new formula, a new uh, platform. Mm, so that definitely sounds very interesting. Um, I'm I'm always very fascinated by what happens in India. So if we move on to our next story um, around data centers and again more investment. It seems like the industry really is waking up from the pandemic and starting to splash the cash, as they say. Um, Abigail, you had a story this week about Compass data centers buying a new Toronto facility. I don't think Compass was the only company in the world, data center company in the world that bought stuff this week. Can you tell us what's what's been happening in the market? Yeah, it's interesting you say splash the cash because um, these companies are yet to disclose just how much cash they splashed. Mm. But it is interesting because Compass Data Centers announced they purchased land in Toronto, the first land in Toronto of theirs, um, to create a Canada campus, which is which will be quite great. Um, the new campus features diverse fibre routes and is supported by multiple fibre providers. And the company said that it will be building um, a 27 megawatt facility of critical IT load with um, it to be added 10 megawatts to by the end of Q3 this year. Um, they said that their company, the reason why they chose Toronto is because um, their customers view Toronto as um, a key growth market due to the importance of you know, the ca- Canadian financial and business communities. Um, the company actually tweeted two days ago that they are excited to deliver new capacity to its hyperscale and cloud and enterprise customers. Um, And you were right, also this week, Melbourne-based IoT data centers is about to open their $77 million facility in Australia's Northern Territory. And that will be set to be operational by the year 2021. Hopefully COVID-19 will be, you know, a thing Mm. of the past by then. And um, also Terraco uh, announced the construction of a new 30 megawatt data center facility in Cape Town, Johannesburg, to meet increasing demands from their cloud providers, um, enterprises and subsea cable operators. So it was a very busy week this week in regards to data center operators. Mm. It definitely is. And uh, actually, just picking up on Toronto, um, I remember last year on a trip that went there on meeting with uh, Structure Research, um, at the time they released a report on the Toronto data center market and essentially just a quick quick numbers of about the $360 million in revenues that they were projecting for 2019. They forecasted a growth up to 2024 up to nearly $600 million. So it's a market that would nearly double in size in the space of just about four to five years. Um, of course, um, and... If we look at the market, and we will be discussing the results a bit later in this podcast as well. If we look at the market, COVID exists, but in the data center space, it doesn't seem to be dragging down demand or revenues. So it doesn't seem like these reports will be out of date because of the pandemic. So that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah. If we go into our next story, and, and before we actually start talking about the story, I just want to say that later in this podcast, we'll be having a chat about Telecom St. Frontiers and how they are supporting refugees and migrants during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, But for now, back to you, Natalie. Um, We've been talking about investment acquisitions, but not everyone has had the same experience this week. Can you tell us what happened with Digicel? 
Uh, so Digicel, in short, seems to be joining uh, a, a number of companies that seem to be entering into restructuring and, and debt reduction uh, plans. Um, so really, they announced to restructure its business in an attempt to cut its debts by about $1.7 billion. Uh, we believe their total debt level is somewhere around $7 billion. Um, Dennis O'Brien, who is obviously the majority shareholder of Digicel, said that the move would reduce its total debt by about 25%, um, which at the at present is viewed by the company and its um, bondholders as an unsustainably high um, following years of declining earnings. Um, so at the time, the company confirmed that it was going to form a new entity called Digicel 0.5, which will act as a holding company for the group's operations across Asia Pacific, the Caribbean and Latin America, for which it will issue bonds. Um, so far, the company has outlined a scheme of arrangement, which is received buy-in from about 95% of its creditors. Uh, effectively, the transaction will see 75% of its creditors agreeing to write off a significant amount of what they are owed in what has been described as a, as a distressed uh, debt exchange. Um, and the two categories of bonds that have an extended tender um, have been increased till the 15th of May and the 15th of June, respectively. Um, but as I say, Digicel aren't alone um, kind of in this process. Um, you know, last month we know that, um, excuse me, SoftBank announced that it was selling 41 billion in assets in order to repurchase some of its common stock as well as to lower its debt. We believe that um, SoftBank's debts are somewhere around uh, 21.6 billion or 2.3 um, trillion yen. Um, additionally, Frontier Communications over in North America, we know they've entered into a 10 billion um, debt reduction plan after fi filing for Chapter 11, um, and they will be swapping out approximately 11.7 billion in debt for um, equity. Um, so, you know, hardly surprising, but um, yeah, there seems to be a lot of companies that are doing the same at the moment, and Digicel seems to be doing the same. Uh, those are some big, scary numbers. Um very big, very scary. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on this. And, and SoftBank is definitely a very interesting um, example, if we can call it an example, um, mm -hmm. of what's happening in that space of the market. Um, but now if we're going to, if we travel to Africa, um, I think it's the first time we're actually talking about Africa in this series. Um, this week, the continent's first live 5G network supporting both mobile and fixed wireless services has gone live in South, the South African cities of Johannesburg, Pretoria and Cape Town following a two-year network modernization project. Melanie, this one was with you. How is this news going to fundamentally change Africa's 5G play? Well, this story is important for a few reasons. Um, first of all, it's a big deal for Africa. Um, it's also a big deal for 5G in terms of the pace of global rollouts, but it's also a big deal for Vodacom, um, the network operator that brought all this about, um, because with this development, it became the first operator to activate temporary spectrum in South Africa. Um, so this temporary spectrum was granted to mitigate the network congestion experienced during COVID-19 lockdowns, which in turn nicely introduces the debate around whether or not COVID-19 will hinder or help global rollout to 5G. Um, but actually the real discussion should be around Africa's work on 5G. Um, at the end of last year in Nigeria, MTN conducted a 5G network trial, which was the first for any country in West Africa. And according to the response on social media the day that the test was conducted, it absolutely blew people away. Um, MTN released some stats following that trial um, comparing 4G to 5G. Um, so apparently it took 15.78 seconds to download a 2.3 gig video on 5G on 4G, it took five minutes and three seconds. So 
you know, the potential of 5G here for the continent is absolutely massive. Um, now, when we look at Africa as a continent-wide market for 5G, um, there'll have to be a lot of public and private sector collaboration to bring this to life. Um, there are the full infrastructure rollouts. This equipment is expensive, so we see PPP funding models in some countries. Um, and also the regulatory piece still isn't fully formed, um, and no doubt the private sector will want a hand in shaping that. Um, but the benefits will be huge. Now, the GSMA said that there's a potential um, 5.2 billion US dollars in terms of the economic boost that 5G can deliver for Africa and that's to the year 2034 which is the equivalent of a 0.7% continent-wide GDP growth so you know not not enormous but pretty significant especially when we're talking about you know so many countries. Um, now, research from Ericsson, which was published at the end of last year, predicted that Africa and the Middle East would show the highest growth rate in 5G take up in the next six years. Um, and their calculations are based on 13% of the global population living in sub Saharan Africa um, and being served by less than 2% of worldwide mobile base stations. Um, so, you know, this is it is going to be a huge market when it takes off in Africa, but there are challenges to that takeoff. For now, Vodafone customers with 5G enabled devices in a 5G coverage area within Johannesburg, Pretoria and Cape Town are now able to access 5G. Um, and the CEO of Vodacom said the network is one of the fastest and most sophisticated network connections in Africa. So fingers crossed for the future. I mean, I, I, I am a strong believer in Africa's potential and I really think Africa... Um, once things explode, it's just going to pick up so fast and probably faster than Europe even um, historically. Um, I remember last year going to Data Cloud Africa in, uh, in Ghana, in Accra, um, and some backstage conversations that I had with a few people, lawyers and investors and all sorts of people, they, they really are trying to get all the frameworks now in place to allow further development, further investment, to speed up licenses, um, which can go from deploying towers to building data centers, uh, they're really doing a lot of um, a, a strong push for foreign investment into the country. Um, you will see the first few, the first of many billion dollars coming in from American investors in the next 24 months. Um, I mean, provided that COVID doesn't delay that too much, but that was the timeline um, back back in September last year. Um, it's definitely an interesting market, and sorry, and the fact that you mentioned Nigeria as well, um, that's uh, a market in itself is very very interesting because I mean. If you look at the projections in terms of population, Nigeria is meant to be the third largest country in the world um, in the next few decades. Um, and then, of course, South Africa is ahead of most most other countries in the continent. But, yeah, so you were going to say? Um, yeah, well, Alan wrote about this um, at the end of last year. Um, and he was, well, part of the, um, the feature that he wrote focused on the adoption of 4G versus 5G. And I was actually really surprised to learn um, how few people actually have 4G coverage um, mm -hmm. and, you know, how little of the content, content is actually connected. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as you say, the potentials here are huge, um, but there is a lot of infrastructure work that needs to happen to, um, to bring the entire continent up to the same level. Do you think, Melanie, there's an opportunity for them to leapfrog and go straight to 5G if they haven't yet installed much 4G? Potentially, but it depends on the devices, um, because obviously the cost of the device is a huge barrier to previous Gs. Um, so it depends how that's going to play out moving forwards um, or whether or not we'll just see the growth in wireless connections for the time being. Yeah, yeah the, the leapfrog in Africa is um, it's an industry-wide conversation. And there's a lot of executives that do believe that Africa is going to completely leapfrog the whole thing because there's no legacy infrastructure and they will just be able to move on from not having it to having it all very quick, faster than we will in Europe probably. 
Um, and I guess in terms of device cost, is cost, I'm sure there'll be cheaper versions. And you do have some big um, Chinese companies as well building very cheap devices that have 5G capabilities. Um, but I think most interesting as well is that we need to see the, the rise of um, a large African corporation that will be building mobile phones, there will be the new Microsoft, the new largest telecom. I, I think that's the most fascinating thing about Africa is that everything is on the table and everything can happen there. And we will see the new big Facebook, the new big Microsoft, the new big Huawei born in Africa. And I think there'll be something quite life transforming, um, at least for the sector. And it's also, of course, the center of expertise and practical applications for mobile money. I mean, it started mm. in Kenya with Safaricom and, and it exists there more than anywhere else in the world. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it's going to be very fast changing. Um, and speaking of changing, changing a bit of direction now. Um, <laughs> this week, we've also seen uh, some heavyweight names moving all around boards across the world, uh, especially Atelier and Vion. Alan, what's been happening with all these executives? Where where are they going? Why are they moving? <laughs> well, I, I suppose this is a zero-sum game. There are not many women executives at the top of the uh, telecoms industry. And this week we've seen one announce her intention to leave and another one has arrived. Uh, Ursula Burns, who's been chairman of, and she likes the word chairman, not chairperson, of Vion, who used to be Vimplecom for the last three years, but she's going to leave on the 1st of June, uh, she said uh, a few days ago. Um, and she's been there for three years. Vion was in a sort of difficult position. It was recovering from um, troubles. Uh, a lot of companies had had troubles because they'd invested in Uzbekistan and they got fined a lot of money uh, by the SEC in the US and uh, various European authorities as well. Uh, it sort of needed tidying up. She's really completely transformed the management. Uh, she's in, uh, appointed two co-CEOs. Uh, she used to be chairman and CEO until last year, but she's got two co-CEOs now. Um, and she's really done a spectacular job with Vion um, while she's been in office. Um, she's She started off as a mechanical engineer. She joined Xerox when she was a new graduate and spent most of her career at Xerox in the US, uh, became the first African-American woman to be both CEO and chairman of, of Xerox and thought she was going to retire. And instead, she got called over to Europe to to run Vion uh, and try and build some trust in the company again. So she's made a lot of changes. Uh, we will have to see what she's going to, what will happen to Vion now she's going um, with the co-CEOs and whoever is going to chair the company in the future, um, leading it into whatever direction it takes. Now, the, the one who's joined has actually just moved, uh, Alison Kirby, who's been um, is CEO in Scandinavia for many years. She used to uh, run Tele2, which is a sort of alternative telco in a number of uh, Scandinavian countries and used to be also in Russia. Uh, I first met her about five years ago when she was CEO of Tele2 Group. Then she moved to TDC in Denmark. It had just done a big reorganization, structural transformation, and she ran that for about a year. Um, and then there have been some changes at the top of Talia, the, the Swedish incumbent, which also got tied up in uh, Uzbekistan. Uh, Johan Deniland, who's been running it for the last few years, 
uh, quit last autumn, nothing to do with Uzbekistan, but he'd got a, a, a new job to go to, which is CEO of Do in Dubai. So Alison uh, Kirby is now CEO. She started this week. Uh, she was appointed last autumn, but she obviously had a, a period when she was in a non-compete period because TDC and Telia, even though they're in different countries, they compete in different, the same markets across Scandinavia. Uh, so she started work at Telia today, uh, sorry, this week. We don't know whether she's actually in Stockholm. She posted uh, a picture of her new corporate identity badge that lets her into the building, but there's not a lot of traveling around. She mainly lives in Scotland, so I think she might well have not actually shown up at the office yet, but nevertheless, she is in, now in charge of Talia. Um, again, a company that's been a period of long transformation. It was uh, investing all over the world. It's really pulled back to focus on Scandinavia and the Baltic states. But of course, it's also got Talia Carrier, which is a really big international wholesale operator. So uh, and that's how we at capacity know Talia most. But it's a the incumbent in Sweden and really powerful in other Scandinavian countries as well. Mm. So we lose one, we gain one, or rather, Alison Kirby <laughs> moves around. Uh, so, but it's a, a you know about the most important telecom operator in Scandinavia. So, good luck to her. Mm. Well, I'm sure, especially in a market like the Nordics, it's always a very exciting market to look at um, from Indeed. on on several different perspectives. Yeah. Um, well, with that being said, I think it's probably time for us to move to our a new segment to the Digital Digest, uh, which we have simply named as Good News. With everything that's going on in the world, the Digital Digest will every week highlight one positive story in the industry that has made the headlines. Um, and first up is the incredible work being done by Telecom Saint Frontier, uh, or TSF, which is who is supporting the refugees and migrants during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, Alan, you've been following TSF's work for a long time. Um, what, what have you been up to during this pandemic? Yeah, they have. I mean, they, they're best known for plunging into wars and earthquakes or floods across the world. And, and one of the things that they realise that people most need when they've been affected by a, a, a natural disaster like that is that the survivors need to contact their family members to say they're alive and they're in this camp or they're across that border or wherever they might happen to be. Um, and of course, they don't have any phones because the phone networks just go down whenever there's a disaster like that. Um, so they started off by flying in satellite phones. They also then started flying in uh, infrastructure, instantly available infrastructure for all the aid workers who are coming in to help um, um, but they've diversified over the last few years um, we on capacity and the other parts of your money have supported them hugely for the last few years uh, whenever we have a big event we tend to have a fun run for the benefit of tsf we've raised a lot of money but there's a lot of other people in the industry as well in marsat at&t and so on who've supported them so what they have been doing uh, both Two things that are connected with coronavirus, uh, and of course they're both in disaster areas. One's in Syria, where they've been uh, running schools for refugee children. Uh, sorry, not in Syria, but in Turkey, across the border from Syria into t Turkey. Syrian children who are refugees, they're now providing e-learning facilities so children can actually keep on learning. Uh, we've got kids from about four or five upwards uh, who otherwise would be in camp not learning anything and TSF has really been helping providing uh, the equipment for them 
uh, and helping teach them so that they don't lose out in, in the world. And the other one which we've been talking about this week on the Capacity News site uh, is those poor sad people who've been who are refugees in Mexico, some uh, from civil strife in, in Latin America and uh, in Mexico either to stay or perhaps to hope to cross the border into the US. Um, and of course, they've been affected by coronavirus as well. And so TSF has been running displays, helping keeping them informed about what the symptoms are, what they should do, what the basic hygiene rules are. And because they've already got this uh, electronic infrastructure in some of the refugee camps, they've been using some of those screens and uh, other facilities they've got to keep people informed because otherwise they just get left out. And of course, refugee camps are horrible places for any sort of disease to spread. So TSF has been doing a wonderful job trying to inform them, keep them healthy. It's the sort of thing that governments across the developed world have been doing, but uh, in refugee camps, they just get ignored. So uh, TSF has been stepping in, doing an excellent job. The whole organization started years ago during the uh, civil war after Yugoslavia broke up and uh, two people who realized there was a need for telecoms equipment and they set it up. It runs in the foothills of the Pyrenees in southern France, um, but it has bases all around the world and they literally can fly if there was uh, a disaster tonight, they would be there tomorrow to start setting up infrastructure anywhere in the world. Uh, an amazing organisation and it's supported by, as I say, really big companies in the industry from AT&T, Utilsat, Inmarsat and so on and so forth and uh, and capacity and your money. So mm. it definitely sounds like a very interesting work they are doing um, out there. And I mean, they are frontline workers as well at the end of the day. Um, and they making the world a better place. Um, and before we close this week's podcasts, uh, let's maybe have um, our normal roundup of things to look forward to next week. I am definitely looking forward to next week's One Wednesdays because um, I've been tuning in whilst I've been doing my work from home, and I'm just you know really beginning to understand the the one market, which is quite cool. And this um, this new one will be about the hidden challenges of SD1, so that will be quite interesting to hear. And Abigail, we should say that as from this week, uh, the One Wednesdays are available on Spotify. Yep. So if you Maybe. just get go to your Spotify app on your phone, type in One Wednesdays and you should be get, able to get them. We've been doing them since the middle of March. I am going to be paying attention to the uh, FCC's Open Commission meeting next week, um, Wednesday, so May the 13th. Um, not entirely sure whether or not I'm going to be tuning in, um, in in real time because it's at 10.30 um, Eastern time and I haven't quite worked out what time that will mean for me here <laughs> in, in, in the UK, but um, it will be um, a, a, a televised um, a teleconference, I beg your pardon, obviously due to the, to the pandemic, but they will be talking about um, transitioning from the 900 megabits um, band to enable broadband development as well as um, facilitating the deployment of satellite earth stations. Um, so that will be interesting to see kind of what comes up with that in addition to um, kind of um, de debating broadcaster rules for, um, in the in the US and regulatory um, kind of fees and other other rules and things like that. But it's certainly the, um, the satellite um, facilitation of, of satellite um, deployment I, I will be uh, tuning into. And then Alan and Melanie, is there anything else that we should be keeping our eyes on next week? One of the things I'll be doing next week is um, it's 2020. Uh, our Capacity magazine is 20 years old this year. Uh, so I'm going to be writing for the next issue, uh, which is the 
June-July issue of the magazine, something on how the magazine started and really how the telecoms industry has changed in that time. So I'm going to be talking to a lot of people who were there at the beginning in 2000. And if you remember back to 2000, that was when the dot-com crash happened. So Capacity was launched just before the dot-com crash, weathered that storm, and it was a horrible storm. I remember it bitterly to this day. Um, and so it was a lot of interesting stories about how the telecoms industry has changed 20 years. Um, and the final thing that I'll be keeping a lookout for next week, um, but this week actually is the Commonwealth ICT Ministers Forum. Um, so no doubt there'll be some announcements coming out from that one um, from Monday onwards. Um, now also next week was supposed to be the week that the um, Google conference um, and also Microsoft Build. Now mm. Google cancelled theirs, but Microsoft is still going ahead and they're taking a virtual approach. So there could be some launches or announcements from that one as well. Okay, Are they using Skype or Microsoft Teams, though? <laughs> <laughs> and which which works better? <laughs> well, one of the rumors that really picked up this week again was that Google might be looking to buying Zoom. So that'll be a big mover and shaker. Um, but again, I think it's more for a rumor than an actual thing. Um, but it might be worth keeping an eye out to see if they mention anything about Zoom. Um, they, they did that push with Google Meets, but I mean, who knows? Nowadays, everything is unprecedented. Google's um, had so many failed conferencing things mm, over yeah. the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. Yep. Google Plus, Hangout, <laughs> the list carries on. Um, <laughs> uh, well, that sounds good. Um, on my side, I'm going to be looking to just keeping the train going with both publications. Um, we have the Capacity Magazine coming out next week. Um, we will be moving into almost production with the Data Economy Magazine. We are preparing the virtual events for Data Cloud Monaco. Um, so for those that don't know, the, the fiscal event issue in Monaco has been moved to December, uh, but we'll still be running some some shows during the week that was meant to take place in June. Um, and then with ITW, we've also announced this week that ITW is going virtual. And of course, me and the, the, the whole editorial team will be looking uh, at contributing to that conference. Uh, we're going to have a lot out uh, in five weeks' time for that conference. Um, with that being said, uh, that's all from me and the team this week for this week's episode of the Digital Digest. Thanks for listening and join us again next week when we talk about the top stories that will make the headlines over the next seven days. In the meantime, make sure you subscribe to both Data Economy and Capacities newsletters. And from me and the team, have a good weekend and stay safe.